Praise the Lord. Uh, as we study the Noahic narrative for, for the last few weeks, we have learned that one of the things that we must do in order to prepare for the last day is discernment. Uh, as we read today, Matthew chapter 24, verse 4 through 5, Jesus cautions against being deceived by the false teachings and false messages and false messiahs. He is urging us to exercise discernment and spiritual vigilance, especially in the world filled with distractive secular philosophies, deceptive political ideologies, and destructive false theologies. And you might ask, what is discernment? Why is it so important to us? Well, the discernment is the ability to distinguish between right and wrong at its basic level. Also, it is the ability to distinguish between right and what is partially right. This is a greater challenge, I believe. But Jesus said in the last days, before he comes back uh, to take all of us home, all those who believe in Jesus Christ, before he brings the final judgment day, so many people will be deceived by the devil through false teachings and false messiahs because of lack of discernment. So the discernment is so important to us, to all of us, to the whole humanity, but especially for those who believe in Jesus Christ, the Christians. Why is it so important? Some might say, I don't care what you believe. I only care about the way you live. Sounds pretty cool, isn't it? I don't care what you believe. I care about how you live, the way you live. Well, the fact of the matter is that what you believe determines the way you live. What you believe determines eternal destiny. What you believe determines your priority on earth. And what you believe is the matter of eternity, which leads us to the subject of discernment. As you know, we are going to talk about this for two weeks. What is discernment? How should we live? How should we uh, discern? Before we do that, let me tell you briefly about what's happening to our popular culture today. We are surely living in the last days, or sometimes we say the days of Noah, according to Jesus. We are witnessing the end time of biblical prophecies being fulfilled in globally. And there will be more natural disasters and catastrophes, and there will be more conflicts and wars between nations and more. Well, there will be more spiritual, mental, physical depravities Every inclination, imaginations of human heart will be wicked as the wickedness is increasing. There were day, these are the days of sexual perversion and sick imagination. And guess what? These pop culture is trying to fashion our lives according to godless ideologies and philosophies. That's where we're living in today. In the name of free expressions and subjective truth reasoning, guess what? We have today many talk shows and many things talking about what? Abnormal things, evil things, sinful things, 
Abnormal is being normalized. What is evil is being normalized and promoted, even celebrated today. That's what we are living in today. More and more you will see this. People are now living according to their own deviance, desires. And no one is saying that that is false or that is right. Why? Because whatever you believe is true to you. And that's the current popular culture status. That's how people will govern themselves. Whatever is suitable to me is right. Everything else I do reject. And it's the same thing when it comes down to Christian doctrine today. We have so many different false doctrines and teachings and concepts being preached and penetrating our churches, yet no one wants to say that is actually wrong. Why? Well, your truth is for yours to hold. My truth is mine to hold. But let us look at what God has to say about that. Is it the right way of thinking, the right way of living? Though this culture is dominating those kind of thinking and ideology and theologies. If you look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2, Paul warns Timothy about false doctrine, which we read today. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myth. People who are teaching the myth and by responding to people's desires, they are teaching what the people desperately want to hear, and they are the ones who get the crowd as a matter of the fact today. People just want to hear what they want to hear. We don't want to talk about the truth. They're not really into truth anymore. They just want to hear what they want to hear. That's why we see people shop and hop, even the churches. Oh, I don't like what you're saying here. Instead of, instead of analyzing, instead of assessing if that is true to the Bible, what do we do? Ah, oh, we go to the church that will give us something that we like to hear. That's why I do not like the idea of church shopping or hopping. All of us, we are here today, not because by accident, because of your own human decisions. We need to look deeper. I truly believe all of us, we are here, forming this community of family of Christ by God's appointment. We're not here because we just like each other. We are here to worship and honor God as one family of Jesus Christ. I believe all of you are called to be here, as I am called to be here. We choose to be here because we know that God has planted, planted all of us into this church. With that in mind, we need to come to church. We need to build this church. Without it, we will just treat church as some kind of extra curriculum club that you can just come and go and have a good time. That is why we don't just leave church just because we don't want, we don't want to be with some people. 
or we don't like each other for some reason, or we disagree and we quit. No. Just like the family, you don't just walk out of your wife just because you have a disagreement. Because of you are bonded by love, you are together to seek the truth and to worship and honor God's name. That's why we are here today. But in the last days, Paul was clearly warning all of us, people will only look for the preachers or the churches, will teach them what they want to hear rather than what is right, what is true, and what is necessary or what is needed for us to hear. Isn't that true? We don't want to hear what we don't want to hear. I remember one of our brother who are now serving the Lord and being a Christian. I asked him because he was trying to search to be a Christian. I said, how long is it going to take for you to? How come you're not, you've been coming to church and you've been, uh, you know, hearing the message? I don't think, I think it's time for you to really respond and be a Christian and be part of our church. And I think he was very honest and I really appreciate and respect that. He said, I'm still struggling to choose starting to commit because I might, when I commit to follow Christ, I might have to do the things that I don't want to do. And I'm not sure I'm really prepared to do that. And I think it is legit. Once you become a Christian, once you commit to the Christ, we are to follow, even though we might not like it, even though we might not like what we've been hearing from the pulpit, from the teachings, but we have to listen. Why? Because we commit ourselves to Christ, and He is our Lord and Savior, and He is our God, then we must follow. But in the last days, people will not do that. People will fashion themselves the concept of God, concept of God according to their desires, and they will look for the teachers who will actually speak what they want to hear. There's another passage, 2 Peter chapter 2. He says, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. By the way, the next sermon is about how to recognize the false teachers as a part of the discernment uh, 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 the series that I'll be teaching. So please be here tomorrow, next week as well. And they will secretly introduce destructive heresies. I'm continuing in 2 Peter chapter 2. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift uh, uh, heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of the truth into dispute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. And I love this. The Bible is so accurate and descriptive. And their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping, meaning there will be judgment for those who propagate, those who promote false heretic messages amongst people of God. Now, we live in an age when people are teaching heresies and false doctrines even more. And I'll tell you how it came about. It came about the way that there were two false principles of biblical interpretations 
that have been used widely and widely accepted today. Two major, I should say, the heretic teachings. And those principles have allowed this kind of heresies to flourish within the Christendom today. First, I believe, I'm talking about the principle of these heretic teachings. First, I believe, is a false notion of blessing. False notion of blessing. See, everybody wants to be blessed. Everybody wants blessing. Even well, when I was talking to atheist friend back in uh, college years, and there was a, we were arguing about if, there, if actually God exists or not. And at the end of the day, I said to him, God, let the Lord our God curse you then. And he was so upset. How could you say to me? How could you say that God will curse me? I said, who cares? You don't even believe in the existence of God. Why are you so upset if I say, let the Lord our God curse you? He's like, no. So would you, would you be liking it then if I say, may the Lord bless you? He's like, yes. Something about blessing. Something about curse. People want to be blessed. I don't care if you're atheist. I don't care if you're, you're, you're theist. People want to be blessed. Many false teachers are teaching God's blessing as a mere material blessings today. Surely God's blessing includes material blessings. And I believe our country, America, we are blessed with the material things. And all the Christians living in this country, we should, we should be always thankful for what we have in Christ Jesus. And even that we are living in this such a country. Okay? I'm not trying to promote patriotism here, but I'm just stating the fact. Because if you travel around the world, there's not many nations have what we have. Yes, part of God's blessing is a material blessing. I do agree. God provides our needs, and God blesses some people with more materials as they faithfully serve the kingdom of God. And I am also a beneficiary of God's blessing materially. I'm so thankful that what I have. But here, what I'm talking about, however, here is this. Many people think that if we believe in Jesus Christ, somehow, automatically, we must receive some kind of financial blessing as well. That means if you're not rich materially, financially, something is wrong with your faith. Maybe I didn't believe it hard enough. Maybe I didn't pray enough. And also, the people come to church today for what? Oh, I want to be blessed. Great. We are supposed to be here to be blessed. That God says so. Come to me, and I shall bless you. And you value blessings of God. Great. But we interpret God's blessing, or we limit God's blessing into just material blessing. So we come to church in America today and say, Lord, bless me. Meaning, Lord, give me more money. Right? Even when we give offering, what do we do? We give offering what? Like give and take, like an investment. Oh, I'm going to give you this. You better give me 100 times more, 20 times more. Fine, I was not good this week, so maybe five times more. Give me back what I gave you. You know what God will say to those guys? Keep your pocket change. I don't need your money. You give because, yes, because we want to be blessed, but we give out of love 
and mercy, out of, out of gratitude, out of the expression of our life, and say, Lord, I'm giving this tithing and offering to you as an expression of giving my life to you. You are our Lord. You are our God. You are the one who provides all the things that I need. Thus, as an expression of our heart, we give by faith. That's an offering. Again, we need to understand the right notion of blessing. The Bible says that if you want to follow Jesus, there will be suffering. Because the world will hate Jesus, war hated Jesus, and war hates Jesus, and war will hate Jesus until he brings the final judgment. Guess what? The world will hate God's people, people who believe in Jesus Christ. And you will see this more and more even in our country today. And I'll tell you, still, even if we, fought, we might face suffering through persecution, temptation, or confusion, whatever you say, we have to say we are blessed by God. We are blessed people of God. The Christian life is not always the prosperity of materials. And this kind of nonsense, the principle of false notion of blessing is flourishing today. And I think that is a big, big problem. We have to wake up. If you believe in God, everything will be okay and you'll be good. You will enjoy good life. Let's go deeper into that. Yes, you will have a good life, meaningful life, purposeful, purposeful life. But I'll tell you, you will live a life of suffering. You might not get rich. Would you still follow Jesus? Again, what is the definition, notion of blessings that you are seeking today? That's why those preachers who will say, oh, God will bless you richly. God will bless you. Yes, God's blessing also includes what? The, 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 the material blessings. So may the Lord bless you materially. Oh, sounds great. But what about this? Lord, may the Lord bless you that you will have a stronger faith. Increase your faith that no matter what you go through, you will not be shaken, but you will stay, stay true to the Lord until the very end. May the Lord give you strength in the midst of suffering that you are about to face. I think that kind of church people will shun. Please don't talk to me about the blessings of God in the midst of suffering. My brothers and sisters, what is the right notion of blessings of God? What does it mean by when God said, I shall bless you and you will be a blessing? Yes, sometimes it can be expressed through materials. How do I know? Look at our lives. God blesses us. I think none of us, maybe we're a small church, that's why we don't really find people who are financially stricken here in this place. But if you travel around the world, the good Christians, devout Christians, if I go to the mission field, man, there's so many people who don't have much. But I'll tell you, they will say they are more blessed than all of us. Why? Because they can praise and worship and honor God. And they will live their lives because they say, the Lord is with me, then who can be against me? The true notion of blessings of God, my brothers, is not just what provision of God. We think, oh, God's blessing, God's going to provide you with the things, and that's what I want. Great, I would like to believe in Jesus today. That's not what God is saying when he says, I'll bless you. You know what? True notion of blessing is more than provision. You know what it is? It means presence, 
of God. When God says, I will be your God, this is what I'm saying. Yes, he shall provide things that you need, even money that you need. He will provide. He will give you ability to work. He will give you the ways to good jobs, possibly. Yeah, that's all included too. Great, because he's our father. But that's not the ultimate blessing. You know what the ultimate blessing is? Like he's saying, I'll be your father. I'll be your God. No matter what you go through, I'll be with you. Even after this life, I shall be with you until the end. You don't have to worry about the lake of fire. You don't have to worry about that. You know what? Even in this life, yes, the devil might try to devour you. Yes, there's all kinds of crazy evils he's trying to destroy you. Even you might be a victim of it. But one thing that I'll tell you and promise you, he says, I will be with you. And I'll never let you go. And I'll bless you. Spiritually. Financially. In every way. According to my perfect plan. That's God. That's the right notion of God's blessing. Do you believe that? Whatever happens in our life, God is with us. His good and perfect will will be fulfilled in and, in, in and through our lives. That presence of God is the true notion of God's blessing. Thus, if we do not have much, we can still praise God because the Lord is with you. Thus, we might face tragedies. We might face catastrophes. We might face all kinds of evil things may happen to us. But we can still say, blessed be the Lord. The Lord is our God. He is with me. Then who can be against me? That is a true notion of God's blessing. Sometimes he will provide you with the things. That's why even, that's not your apostle. I know what it means to be rich. I know what it means to be poor. Whatever happens, the Lord provides me all the things I need. I can be versatile. I can be whoever. You know why? Because the Lord is with me. And I will be whatever. And I will continue to serve God. So we need to define the meaning of being rich correctly. Being rich is not just having lots of money for Christians. Money cannot buy everything that we need. You know what being rich means for Christians? Is that we are being under God's care. That's what it means by being rich. Being rich. You know, our family lives in an affluent neighborhood. And my kids sometimes ask me, Dad, you know, I visited you know, my, my friend's house, big house, very big house, very big, nice cars and all that kind of stuff. And I said, you know what? We are richer than any one of those guys. So what do you mean? Our house is small. We don't have nicer cars. But I said, you know what? We might not have much, much money as they do, or your friends. But guess what? God, whatever we need, God provides. If you need a car, God provides. If you need a house, God provides. So we don't have to worry too much about how much we have right now. Making money. Some people try to live their lives just to make money. Don't get me wrong. Making money is not a bad thing. We're supposed to make money, produce wealth, because the Lord has given us the ability to do so. It's a part of the blessings of God. But that is not the ultimate goal of your life. It's a tool 
But the, I always tell them, God is the one who provides us. He is the one who gives us what we need. Then I'll tell you, we are the, probably the richest person in this neighborhood. And they understood what I meant. Teach that to your kids. That's why my kids, if you tell them, not, the money will not impress them. I'm not impressed by money and how much money and what kind of cards you have. Uh, trust me, I'm not impressed by how much money you have. Or how less money you have. I'm not impressed by, impressed by any of that. We shouldn't be impressed by that. Amen. Why? Because we know the right notion of God's blessing. As long as the Lord is with me and guiding me, leading you wherever you go, you should have a confidence. Because the Lord blesses us. God will surely provide everything we need if we first seek the kingdom and his righteousness. Live according to that. That means you can be confident. That's why I meet all kinds of people as I travel around, even here. Rich, poor, filthy rich sometimes I meet. Nothing impresses me. But you know what I'm really impressed by? I don't care how. I was very impressed last summer in the mountainside of Baguio. One small church. Not that much money, money they have. Not that much. They're not educated. And landslide that they can even walk around great. But they come for the, their 13th anniversary of their church with no shoes on because flooding. They come to worship God and say, the Lord is our my shepherd. I shall not lack anything. That impresses me. Their faith impresses me. Amen. Why? If you understand the true notion of God's blessing is tied to God's bless, God's presence. If somebody you know is with the Lord, with the Lord is with them, we shall be impressed. Amen. Now, second false principles that is flourishing in our time that we must discern is the tolerance. Tolerance. Love and unity was going to cancel all the rest of the Bible that has to do with the heresies and false teachings and false gospel and everything. On the love and unity today, we will now be able to say anything that you wanted to say that nobody would say you're wrong because if someone does say something, that is being divisive. We need to tolerate whatever belief. That's what we are living, isn't it? And it's happening even in the church today. Tolerance. Is a tolerance a good thing? Not necessarily. We need to understand what tolerance actually is. People say, oh, in the church, we should be tolerant. Yeah, we should be tolerant of the people. Does not matter who you are, what kind of background, you can all come to, come to worship the Lord our God. But one thing that we can tolerate about is the Bible, the truth, the teachings. But you are dividing the body of Christ. The people will not come. 
Well, in the name of tolerance, the authority of the Bible has been challenged, rejected in the church today, of course, canceled by the society already. And you will not only be canceled, you will be persecuted in the future, very near future. Be ready for that. Oh, you should be tolerant. But yet they are not tolerant of our belief. Isn't that kind of interesting? When it happens, all kinds of false teachings disguised as as a church practice or working of the Spirit penetrates into the church. We become tolerant of all kinds of false doctrines while the world is being intolerant of the truth of the Bible. That's all we're seeing today. In the name of tolerance. And that is this, we've got all kinds of prophets and teachers in the church today and and we don't even need the Bible anymore, they say. The Lord can speak to us directly. Oh, Lord is doing great things in the church. More people come, that's all it matters. Oh, you can believe how you believe. Does not matter, just come to church. And all kinds of churches, weird churches. If you ask, is that a scriptural thing? Is it scriptural? Is it right? Oh, they will say, how come you are not tolerant? You're so intolerant. How come you don't accept us? This, my people, if you want to look for the devil sometimes, I think we need to look for the devil in the church. If somebody says, is this scriptural? They will say, of course, it's a new thing. God is love. He accepts everyone. Our greatest fear springs from the fact that the Bible is no longer occupying place of prominence as once it did in the church. Irving Luther said that. Indeed, the whole controversy is a fact that a major battle for the Bible. So at the end of the day, what are we fighting for in the name of intolerance or tolerance debate? It's about the truth of the Bible. By the way, this isn't a new phenomenon. Over the history of the church, oh, The world was trying to distort the word of God. They're trying to, oh, welcome, you're so intolerant. Certain things we cannot be tolerant, certain truth. Why? Because the Bible says so. Amen? But I think those two things are really destroying the churches today. False notion of blessing and also the false notion of tolerance. Now, we are going to introduce an exercise, what the Bible scholars call antithetical thinking. Now, some of you kind of smile, you know exactly what you're talking about, talking about, right? What does it mean? It's very simply this it means if you affirm something as being true, as being true or being truth, it, uh, its opposite is false, okay? Meaning, not everything can be true, okay? If one is true, the other cannot be true. Either this or that, antithetical, right? Not all views can be true. 
That's why when people say, oh, that's true to you, do not bother me about my own truth, that does not make sense. There is absolute truth. Oh, if I say absolute truth, people will say absolute truth is absolute. That's what people say nowadays. You can believe whatever you want to believe. Don't tell me that what is there is absolute truth. Oh, there is an absolute truth. Just like there, the, gravi- the law of gravity is absolute. You try to jump from the Willis Tower and see what happens. Oh, I don't believe in the law of the gravity. Well, you jump and see what happens. No matter what you say, certain things are absolutely true. Right? That's what it means when we say antithetical method or thinking. If... If we affirm as a one truth, the other things cannot be true. Jesus said, there are only two paths. Very antithetical, isn't it? Wide road that leads to destructions and narrow road that leads to life. There are only two destinations, heaven and hell, not purgatory. Okay. Some people say there's a three destination. The Bible, actually, if you study it, there was only two destinations. The Bible is a very antithetical book. So we have to think antithetically. So are you with me? Didn't you say what I'm trying to say here? Okay, I'm not trying to make it sound complicated. Now, you might say, oh boy, you are dividing the people. No one's going to come to your church. <laughs> yes, maybe. Maybe people not like it. I know we smile about it because it is true. And so many people, they come and go to this, come to this place and left this place because they did not like the notion of this. But what are we supposed to do? I think it's so much better to recognize that we are divided by the truth than unite in error. The doctrine divides what is true from what is false. The Bible divides what is true from what is false. By the way, however, doctrine also unites. What we believe unites us. We, we recite the what? Apostles' Creed or Missional Creed. It says, I believe in the what? Holy Christian Church, or sometimes you say Holy Universal Church or Catholic Church. By the way, Catholic, I'm not talking about Roman Catholic. I'm talking about universal. Catholic means universal. Whole church. We believe in the universal church. We believe all those who trusted in Jesus as Savior belong to the body of Christ across the denominations. Okay? Truth unites, but also truth divides. For example, I'm going to make a statement, and we are going to talk about what it excludes. If I believe, as I do, the Bible alone is the basis for all we need to know about our relationship with God, angels, demons, and eternal things, and it is sufficient, and it is the God's only revelation of these things to us, that's the statement that I'm going to make right now, then automatically it excludes a lot of things, right? For example... What about the Book of Mormon? It excludes the Quran, the Book of Islam. excludes the Jehovah's Witnesses. What this statement says is that the Bible is the highest, ultimate, highest authority for us, God's Word. And we must follow it alone. And that excludes the rest 
of the holy books in the world. That's the way doctrine is. You can unite for those who believe. You can exclude those who do not believe. It always divides what is true and false. It is including the tr- in, the tr- in truth, also excluding any other things. Now, let us look at the moment, the, the, the very most important doctrine in the entire Bible. If you turn with me to, if you have a Bible with you, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Let me read it from verse 6. And this is the essential belief that we cannot compromise. Yes, there are many different denominations in Christendom. Not everybody has to agree with every issues, but the gospel is the one that we need to all agree on if you truly believe in the Bible. Galatians chapter 1, 6, it says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. And we have already said so. Now I am saying it again. If anybody is preaching to you on the gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Words of Paul. Paul was writing to a church of Galatian church. Why? Galatian church had a problem with the false teachings, false, all kinds of false prophets, and they were trying to penetrate the church and confuse so many Christians, just like today. And he says, if somebody, anybody, I don't care who you are, the angel comes and preaches to you something, other than what we preached, the gospel other than what we preached. By the way, that he said, that's not even gospel. But he said, if that's so, let that person be, be cursed. If an angel comes down and preach the wrong gospel, reject him. Let's say an angel come down to this room, splendor, glory, looks so much, much better than all of us, and tell you, I want you to know that God is interested in a good person. If you are not a good person, you will get you. If you're a good person, you will get to heaven. If any angels, any good, great man or whoever preaches that, you will say that is a false gospel. Today we are living in a time when people are very interested in all kinds of different things, including angels and demons. But I tell you, my brothers and sisters, we need to clearly understand this. If anybody teaches the gospel other than what we have learned through the scripture, they're all cursed. There's a message from hell. Okay. I don't care how it sounds good. How it looks good does not matter. We have to be alert. Amen? 
Now then, I'm going to give you five necessary essential truths to understand the gospel. Five essential truths about the gospel that we cannot compromise no matter what. Okay? And we're going to engage in this antithetical thinking. And this is then this will help us to discern the false doctrine. First thing we need to understand is the holiness of God. Everyone say holiness of God. That means that God is separate from all beings. He's a transcendent. He is the other. He is unique. There is none like, none like him. God is holy, holy. That's why we sang today, holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord. Every time the Bible mentions three words consecutively, that means there is a heavy, heavy, heavy emphasis. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. It means God is really holy. I don't know how to say it. He's like the ultimate holiness. God is so pure, so holy, so different. He cannot regard, he cannot observe, he cannot condone any evil. He is perfect. Why is it so important? If God is not holy, we will not need the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Today, so many people say, oh God, I love God, I worship God, I come to God. God is the blank that whatever people wish to fill in today. God is anything that helps me to be a good person. That is my God. In that sense, it is not comforting to know that the God is in our lives. Okay? We have to really understand. God is holy. It means that it excludes all possibilities of people being able to access to God's own. Uh, God, access to God. On their own. Meaning, if God is that holy, we cannot approach God as we are. We need mediator. We need someone to bring us back to God because if you are too holy, unholy people cannot approach God. The very reason why we know we can be here and worship this holy God is not because what we have done. It's not because we are so good. No, because someone who is mediating us between us and God. So holiness of God is something that we cannot compromise. But I also preached about this already when we were talking about the holiness of God. As a Christians, we actually forget this fact that God is really, really holy. God is holy, holy, holy. We are so familiar with God. Thus, we do not come with a holy life. We just come with a familiar lifestyle. And I think it's a big problem for Christians today. We don't consider God and respect God, even though He is the holy, holy, and holy. Holiness of God. He's not someone that you can just say, Hey, how are you, God? Hey, what's up, God? You only reason that we can actually call our Father, our God, our Father, only that we can actually come to God today and worship God, only the way that we can actually pray to God, even though we are not holy and approaching this holy God, is because there is the only mediator between us and God bringing us to God. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ. So first thing that we need to, we cannot compromise, is the holiness of God. Second thing is the deity of Christ. Jesus being our God. 
We are going to talk about more about this when we talk about the false prophets. But the Bible clearly says this, that Jesus is God, a very God, and he has to be God in order to be the mediator between God and man. Now, think antithetically. Think about that, that, that what it, it will exclude. It excludes Jehovah's Witnesses who believe that Christ is a created being. Excludes Islam who believe that Jesus is a mere prophet, not God. Excludes the Judaism who believe that Jesus was a rabbi. Excludes all the New Agers and who separates historical Jesus from so-called cosmic Christ. Any belief that Jesus is a mere man is a false. Jesus is God and man at the same time. He is the union of God, the divinity, and humanity. He is God at the same time he's human. That's the mystery, incarnation, God becoming a man. That's who he is, deity of Christ. That is why he's the only one who can bring man bring woman to God because he is a perfect union of God and man in one person. If he is a mere man, he cannot bring all of us to God. If he is only God, he cannot bring humanity to God. He had to be God-man, deity of Christ. If anyone who denies that and preaches that, you know that that's false. And let the person who preaches that kind of doctrine be cursed, according to Paul. Jesus is God. Amen? Amen. Jesus is God. Third, we need to understand, we cannot compromise the fall of men, the sinfulness of men, the depravity of men. How bad, wicked are we without Christ? In the book of Ephesians, it says that we are dead to our sins, that we cannot respond to God. There is no way that we can approach God. There is no way because we have lost it. We are no longer holy. We have sinned. Sin is the one who blocks us between God and us. That's what happened in Garden of Eden when the first humanity, the Adam and Eve, took the fruit. He was rejecting God and say, I will be my own God. And that moment on, God said, you surely be who you are, surely be dead. Meaning spiritually, you are disconnected. You cannot be able to approach God. That's why when I say when God is holy and holy and holy, unholy people like us cannot approach God in our own, with our own. only way that we can approach God is through the mediator who is God and man at the same time, who is sinless, who is God, Jesus Christ. But we need to understand the fallen nature of men. We need to understand we struggle with sin. We need to understand that we have this sin problem in this world. You know, all kinds of wicked things happening around the world corruptions, crimes. That's the, you know, extreme expression of the evil heart. But all of us, we struggle with that, the sinful heart. We want to be whatever we want to be. That's the basis of sin, rejecting God and being my own. 
I will be the measure of all things. I will determine what is right, what is wrong to me. I will decide. I will live according to whatever I feel like. Some choose to go crazy and kill people. Some choose to be corrupt, everyone else. Some choose to exploit. Some Some choose to lie. Why? According to my own desire, own ways. Fallen nature of men. If anyone who can say to you, oh, we are all good, just bad environment makes made us bad, it's not your fault. That's garbage. Psychologically, it's garbage. Socially, sociologically, it's garbage. But also biblically, it's garbage. You're responsible for what you do. The reason why we sin is because we are sinful. We struggle with it. Everyone struggles with it. That's why we don't put our trust in ourselves. We don't put our trust in men. We only trust in God, who is sinless. Amen. That's why we don't even trust ourselves. We're not supposed to trust ourselves. Oh, I'm stronger. I can fight the sins and temptations. Yeah, right. You need to trust God and depend on God. Even Jesus as a human was tempted. In every way that we were tempted, he was tempted. You read the account of his temptation. Three temptations, right? Right? And you know what the Bible says? He said he was led by the Holy Spirit. He was depending upon the word of God. He was fighting against the temptation by reciting, remembering the, the, the passages from the Deuteronomy. By the way, the Deuteronomy is a favorite book of Jesus. You should also study Deuteronomy. That's how he did it as a human Jesus. At the same time, he was God, of course. Fall of men, depravity of our hearts. That means we are in need of Savior who can save us from this condition we're saved by good works and we're saved by being good people as long as we strive to do the very best and God cannot turn away from us and all other religions except Christianity will say that you work hard people kind of twist and say we're not just saved by faith also by works. Some Christian sector, I'm not going to say who, says that. We're saved by faith and works. No! We cannot save ourselves. That's the condition of our heart, the fall of man. We are sinful. There's no way we can save ourselves. There got to be someone who comes outside of us and Be a savior for us. He will fall of men. We need to understand clearly. Amen? That is why the church must preach about repentance from sin. That's why we need to say, we need to repent of our sin. We need to fight our sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to depend on God. That's why we need God. Because we cannot fight this sin problem 
with our own. We enjoy it too much. We are so in it too much. We are tainted already. There's no way we can be untainted. Someone else has to do it for us. So when we, when we say, when the preachers say, repent of your sin, do not be offended. Say, amen, I want to repent. Meaning, come back to God. Turn away from your wicked ways and turn back to God and depend on God for mercy and grace and depend on God for His sanctifying work. That's what repentance means. Amen. Fourth, truth, essential truth that we cannot take it away is a substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement. What does that mean? It means Jesus died for sinners. In 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Again, bring you to God who is holy, holy, holy. He is the mediator. Why? He in the, that means that there can't be no other way to God except Christ, who died on your behalf. Who became a substitutionary atonement. He was atoned for your sin instead of you atoned for it. He was punished for your sin instead of you paying for it. That is what Jesus, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done on the cross. Now do you understand every Easter why we celebrate the cross I know that is so unpopular today, but people don't understand why it can't be because Jesus is the only one who can give us the righteousness we need. He is the only one who met the requirements of the Holy God. And even though he was sinless, he died on the cross. And as he paid for the sin, whoever believes in him, now we can be free from sin. He was able to give us the righteousness that will bring us to God. He was able to give us the holiness that will bring us back to God. There is no other option. False doctrine, false teachers, prophets are plenty, but here is the path. Jesus is the only Savior of the world. He is the only way. There is no other. He is our substitutionary atonement for us. Amen? Amen. Last but not least, faith alone. Why is salvation given through faith alone? Why can't be operating between God and us? What can we not? Why can't we do something? Why can't we say we do our best and God comes along and does his best? Maybe his 100%, our 100% makes us saved it's because when we come to salvation there's nothing we can do to offer we don't bring anything to the table except our great need the righteousness we need from god is the righteous in which we have none so we make no contribution we do not add anything to our own righteousness it makes it more righteous no we don't subtract from it either. It's simply we receive the righteousness. That is why we say faith alone. 
You have to believe it in Him who can give you the righteousness. Paul said it, imputed righteousness. God, Jesus is the one giving His righteousness. What you do will not make, subtract or add to His righteousness He's giving to you. No one can do that. Only the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to you is that you, have, you can be saved. You cannot add to his righteousness. You cannot subtract from your own righteousness because we have no righteousness. We simply receive his righteousness. And only way that we can receive his righteousness is through faith. You must believe and follow. That's all that we can do. There's nothing else we can do. That's why in our church, Christian church, we say faith alone. Think about what this means. It means that we cannot be saved by baptism. It denies that we are saved through the sacrament. It denies that we are saved by our own works. Hear this again. There is nothing that we can do to be saved. Only by God's grace, through Jesus Christ, as we humble ourselves and believe in him. That's the only way. Because there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. That's the gospel, isn't it? Only thing that you can do is to believe. That's what Jesus said. Believe in me. Believe the one who who was sent by the Father, and I'm here for thee. Believe in me. Because you cannot save yourself. You cannot add to the righteousness. You cannot subtract from the righteousness. You can't do nothing. You can do nothing apart from me. But believe that I, I, I am the only one who can give you. That's the gospel. And if anywhere that does not preach this message, I don't care how many people are there to listen and agree and shout amen. It is not biblical. It's a false doctrine. What am I saying here? The greatest message that we must defend with our lives now is the gospel that we have learned from the Bible. We need to discern We need to hold on to the gospel that we have received. No matter what happens, no matter what kind of pressures we might face from the outside, we cannot compromise such truth of the gospel. Amen? It is my prayer in the last days when things are more chaotic than before. We will continue to trust and believe in his word, in his gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we do so, we'll be able to discern and live a life worthy of God's calling. Amen? Let's pray.